You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Pastor Max said, I'm Reverend Benita. I'm one of the co-pastors here. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm just so grateful that you have joined us in worship today, not just in person, but in our virtual space as well. I am so grateful for my Forefront community, as you all have supported me in the loss of my mom last Sunday. Um, Thank you for your visits. Thank you for your calls, your texts, your prayers. Um, On behalf of uh, myself, my husband Todd, my sister Faith, who's with me today from California, my dad, who is here um, with us today, um, we all thank you and express gratitude. Um, This has been a really difficult week. However, the prayers of the righteous avail much, and I am standing here because of the support that we have from our Forefront community. Um, Typically, I don't give disclaimers before sermons. Um, However, I do want to just share um, that um, there's a bit of a content warning today only because I'm going to be talking about the subject of death and dying. And if you have been close to a loved one who has passed away, it might be somewhat triggering. Um, Just wanted to put that out there. And then the other thing is what I'd really love for you to do is just take a breath with me. Let's continue to breathe uh, during this sermon. And if there are times when I'm making light of something, I want to tell you that it will be okay to laugh. Okay? You have permission to laugh. Um, Because we are going to be holding quite a bit today. Um, There's going to be some dissonance where um, there are going to be things that cause us to feel good and then some things that cause us to feel not so good, right? So there's going to be this lack of harmony. There's going to be some tension, uh, particularly when we're in this season of joy and then we're talking about the subject of death and dying. So the staff um, traditionally meets a few times a year, the forefront staff, to be able to come together. um, It's a good time. Uh, we talk about the sermons that we're going to have uh, coming up, right? And so our last sermon series planning, and this typically happens all day. We have lunch. The last one happened in Jersey City at my home, and um, we schedule each other for various dates. Today was actually my day to preach. However, back in August, when I was given this date, Um, and the subject, God meets us in our fear, I was a little like, uh, okay, so I really don't know what I'm going to preach about because I'm not really a person who experiences fear. This is is what I shared, right? So nothing was really coming to mind. Nothing really resonated. I was just like, oh, okay, I'll take it. But I really wasn't feeling it because typically here at Forefront, we enjoy sharing stories connected to the sermon, and I really didn't have a story that I could think about sharing. Well, 
guess what? I have a little something to share as it relates to Seer today. And I thought that I was only afraid of um, New York City rats and, <laughs> and, and heights. <laughs> However, as I began to reflect, there were some other things, you know. Um, well, first off, the scripture that comes to mind, which is the reason that I tend to shy away from fear, is, you know, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen, right? But the reality is, even with that, Sometimes we experience fear. So I began to reflect and I thought about a time when I really experienced fear. It was March 2020 at the start of the pandemic. And I really felt in my spirit that God was calling me to pastor. And um, I had been sitting with this for a few years, actually, where I just really felt the calling, but didn't necessarily know how to step into it. And when the pandemic came, I felt the spirit saying, now's your time. So I felt like, you know what, everyone's on Zoom, everyone's in a virtual space. I'm like, I love the Lord, I love to worship, you know, I can preach some sermons, bring folks together, and that's what the plan was. However, the night before uh, Palm Sunday, when I was supposed to make it happen, I had the biggest fear. I mean, I was nervous, I had the email all ready to go, I was talking back and forth with my husband Todd, and he's like, Vinita, you should really just send it, you know? Um, so finally I sent it and the timestamp honestly was like 1130 because it's like I wanted people to come but I really didn't want people to come and um, it was Palm Sunday people showed up it was a blessing and that community embrace um, has helped uh, help strengthen me and others during the pandemic and even now uh, about once or twice a month and then um, there was something else that uh, brought me a lot of fear. It was the type of fear that made my heart feel like it was jumping out of my chest. It was the type of fear that made me run to the blood pressure machine and check my blood pressure because I honestly thought I was having a heart attack. But then it was also the type of fear where I had to get a hold of myself and realize that no matter what, God was with me and has prepared me for this time and God would see me through, right? God met me in my fear. So the fear started during newcomers dinner. We have newcomers dinner every few months for individuals who are new to our community. Um, shout out to Danielle who had hosted us on November 14th. And at the end of the meeting, we had a beautiful time I get this call, I, re I pick up my phone and I see all of these uh, missed messages from my sister who had been to be staying with us. And um, she said, Vanita, first off, you need to keep your cell phone near you. And then the other thing is, mom had a brief episode. And I said, what do you mean? She said, she kind of passed out, we had to get the oxygen. I nearly lost it uh, in, in the bathroom, all right? And then I got myself together, she's like, just come home right away. So I got home as quick as I could. Um, it was only about 20 minutes, okay, people, in Jer to Jersey City, okay? For those of you who think it was so far. Uh, but I got there lickety-slick. And um, I realized that night that a shift was taking place in my mom's body. Um, they told me, um, Faith and Todd, um, to the rescue, they, they said that my mother had kind of passed out a little bit and, you know, they had to call hospice and hospice instructed them to just give her some oxygen and she would be okay and they were right. And they explained to me that when they were actually giving my mother her oxygen, 
there was part of the tube that was twisted a little bit, and my mother, in her wonderful nurse manner, picks up the tube and helps them as they are trying to <laughs> administer oxygen. Like, let me help you all out as you are trying to help me. Um, so yeah, there was that. Um, so we put her to bed, and um, I, I knew there was something different. Uh, my husband and I have been her primary caregivers, along with my dad, her husband, for the last four years, since 2018. And I just felt like there was something off. She was a little agitated. We calmed her down. We got her in bed. Um, and I realized that um, she was in a different place. And I knew that maybe something was going on because that day she didn't eat a lot. Like she maybe had 75% and my mother's a great eater, you know, 100% the whole time she's been ill. Um, but I also knew that, you know, something could be happening. So there were further signs the next day on Wednesday when she didn't get out of bed and she felt like sleeping, right? Typically she would not stay in bed all day. And I said, wow, now she barely ate this Wednesday, and she has become bedridden, which was new. Um, her body wanted to sleep over and above eating. She, she was just sleeping. She would wake up time to time. We called hospice. Hospice likes to wait for 24 hours. In September, I talked to you about um, her being admitted into hospice care. And um, this was the end of July, so it had been five months. And um, they say they like to wait 24 hours to see if someone is like officially shifting. So the nurse comes over on Thursday. This is actually a nurse who attended the same church where I was youth pastor some years ago. So she was the nurse who came in. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that the so hospice social worker happened to be someone that I worked with. And then the first hospice nurse happened to be someone from my hometown. Look at God. Look at God just covering us. So anyway, Nurse Sharon did an assessment, and she made the official call. She said, your mother's body is, in fact, going through end-of-life transition. Her main sign, she's not eating. She doesn't desire food. In fact, her body no longer needs food. And she said, whatever you do, we, we said, well, if she wakes up, should we try to, you know, feed her? And they said, mm, you, you probably don't want to do that, right? Just see how she's doing, because if you do that, you could really make her sick, and you can make things worse. So this was the official announcement that my mother would be transitioning. We didn't know how long, you know, Sharon said, sometimes in these situations we see things for three days, we see things for six days, sometimes 12 days. She even told us that she saw something for 16 days before. But it was confirmed. This was the announcement or the annunciation, if you will. And during this Advent season, we acknowledge another announcement. The announcement to Mary about her giving birth to Jesus Christ. Look at our text for today, which is found in Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. And I will read it from the message. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken 
wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called holy, son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So this is Advent, where we are preparing for the arrival, the celebration of Jesus Christ. At the same time, I was preparing for departure, the departure of my mother, this dissonance, right? So Christ's birth announced to Mary by the angel Gabriel that something huge was going to happen. Even though she didn't know a man, she would be giving birth. And the angel told her, don't be afraid. How is she not supposed to be afraid? <laughs> she's supposed to conceive when she doesn't know a man, right? But she's found favor with God, but how is this supposed to happen? How will things look? And she really wasn't a woman of great status or reputation. However, she still found favor with God. She was from Nazareth. And, you know, somewhere in Scripture, there's the question that is asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth. And here she was receiving this angelic message that she would conceive and she would be touched by the Holy Spirit and she would bear a child and this child's name would be Jesus. And receiving this great announcement was very scary and it put her, I'm sure, in a place of wonder confusion and shock and certainly fear there's this dissonance i'm finding favor but i'm going through this there's this tension i'm thinking about as i'm preparing this sermon we're celebrating there's supposed to be joy and my mom was slipping away from me day after day so there we were receiving this announcement, receiving the fact that she would be transitioning, and it was very, very scary. However, hospice told us, just like the angel Gabriel told Mary, hospice told us, don't worry about it. They had empowered us. You see, five months earlier, my mother had entered hospice, and we received all the things, all the bells and whistles. We received a comfort pack with all the medication. We received a hospital bed. We received all the supplies and everything that we needed. But guess what? We didn't really need it because she was in a good place. So people were like, your mother's in hospice? 
So much so, and she would dance, and she would laugh, and she would crack jokes and have a good time, and she would dance, and she, she prayed for the hospice chaplain, and she danced with the hospice nurse, and like lots of stuff were happening. So much so that I just wanted to create a hashtag that said, hashtag, this is what hospice looks like, okay? And there were all these things, and there was oxygen, and, and it was a little scary when everything started arriving at the end of July. But as the months progressed, even though my mom was 92, I was like, she's just, she's great. She's good. And even though we knew that she, we had been given three to six months, she had been given because of her heart disease, it was still like, she's good. She's going to be okay. And in the back of our minds, we were like, okay, they said her condition is severe, but mom's cranking. But we could also see her body shifting, her getting more and more tired her not wanting to stand up, but whenever she did stand up, she would still do a little dance, right? So, so there was all this happening, and the fear really didn't hit until we got the official announcement. And I thank God that my sister was with us, and my father had some time to spend um, in Virginia with family for a bit and with some other siblings for a bit, just so you know he could be supported by a number of different people. Um, I had fear about whether or not we made the right decision for hospice. Because after a period of time, my mother was just lying there. She was pretty lethargic. The first couple of days she spoke, but, you know, she really didn't open up her eyes. The whole 12 days, unless maybe we were trying to move her for whatever reason, and then she would experience excruciating pain, and we were like, oh, my gosh, did we give her enough morphine? Are we doing the right thing? And we would call hospice constantly. And then there was a great fear whether or not we were doing the right thing when people would make certain comments. Is she really that sick? Are you giving up on her? Maybe she should have a feeding tube. So the nurse assured us when we ran some things past the nurse, you, she, she said, we don't do that in hospice. We are allowing her body to speak, and we trust the process. And as a family, we encourage you to trust her process. Her body is speaking, saying that it doesn't want food anymore and her organs are beginning to shut down. Now, if you decide to give her a feeding tube, which we don't do anyway, she'll start to get swollen, and she'll be really uncomfortable, and she might really get sick, and we don't want that, right? So, and then I had to think, well, is there, you know, is this the right decision? You know, the hospice nurse said, whatever you do, don't call 911. You always call hospice, right? And I'm like, oh, you know, she's telling us this, like, you know, of course we know to call hospice. But you know, you get to a point where you're just like, are you doing the right thing? And the desire was for our mom to pass in our home, surrounded by loved ones, but then you still question. There's that fear. And my sister and I would administer meds, and we'd be up like every three hours. It started <clears throat> with maybe every 12 hours, but then we had to give more meds, and then it was every three hours, and then we 
the two of us stayed in my parents' bed, and, you know, we were there with my mom in her hospital bed, and, you know, every three hours, my sister would take a shift, and I would take a shift, and we'd be up all night, and sometimes I would just be staring at her, and we would listen to her breathing, and we'd take her pulse, and let me tell you, my mother's oxygen was rocking most of the time, most of the 12 days. We didn't have to give her oxygen therapy and maybe till a couple days before she passed away, you know, and my sister, you know, she's, she's an actress, and she's a comedian, and she's like, you got to stop talking to mom because mom feels like she wants to stay because you keep talking. One day we thought, one day we thought she was going to make her transition and we started singing to her and we're praying and, and everything. And then her heart, like heart rate picked up again. And <laughs> she was like, you know, again, lethargic, catatonic state, you know, and we were just talking in her ear because we were told the last thing is to go. But the reality is I'm like, you know, if I'm talking to her, she's staying here, but I want my mother to know we're here. And, you know, my sister kept laughing because she's like, oh my gosh, every time she makes a grunt, I would just jump up out of the bed, jump up, like make sure she's okay. Does she have what she needs? Or we, you know, secretion, all this stuff. And we're not medical professionals. Let's be clear. My mother was the RN, okay? And we, we would whisper, her, whisper to her and say, Mommy, I think we're doing the right thing. We're not really sure, but we think we're doing the right thing. And God led us all the way. And then with every day that passed, with every phone call, how are you all doing? With every person who came to visit, you know, there was still this dissonance. I would walk outside and like the air would be fresh and the water's there and you know, everything is beautiful. And I'm like, my mom's slipping away inside, right? And then I would like attend a meeting or two and, and I'm just like trying to like move forward and hold it together because I'm like not sure how to like behave and function in this type of situation. All of this dissonance, but God continued to strengthen day by day. And my sister and I got to a point where we said, you know what? God has prepared us but think about it. Mommy prepared us for this time with how she raised us, with how she empowered us. After all, my sister's name is Faith, number one. And she was a woman of prayer and she was a woman of commitment to God. And we continue to through, even through the tears, even through the laughs, even through the pain, even through all of it, we continued to be open to the fact that God was, in fact, meeting us in our fear. And I think about the fact that Mary initially was fearful, but then what she did was she began to praise God and think about the goodness of the Lord that the worship team was singing about today. And there is a piece of scripture further down in the text that's called the Magnificant, and it's where Mary celebrates, and she realizes that she can sing a song of courage. She can sing a song of bravery because she thinks about everything that God has, in fact, done for her. So my sister and I, and even my dad, Todd, we were able to be encouraged and sing songs of bravery and courage. 12 days is a long time for a 92-year-old to be hanging in there, right? And, and through all of that, my mom, even in her state, continued to encourage us because she prepared us for such a time as this. And not only my mom, but I think about all of the generations that came even before her. Think about the fact that from generation to generation, we find strength and we find endurance through the hard times, right? So I am from a lineage of Lucy's. My great-grandmother was a Lucy. Lucy 
Perry Wilson. She was a church musician. My grandmother was a Lucy. She was an evangelist and uh, a preacher. And then my mother was a Lucy as well, right? So this maternal lineage, and of course my paternal lineage as well, is there. Um, but I thank God because my mom was a woman and my mom liked to celebrate women. I wanted to be able to celebrate my maternal lineage today because our overall theme during Advent is from generation to generation. So I'm encouraging you to think about the generations that came before you. It just didn't start with you, right? We gained strength from not just Mary and Mary's courage, but all of our ancestors, all of, our, all of their stories are within us. All of their stories help carry us forward. We have been equipped to handle any challenge that any of us face. And I know that so many of us are going through many struggles. It might not be loss, but you know what your fear is. You know what your struggle is. And I would encourage you to lean on God. And one of the things that helps me is writing and expressing gratitude. To think about all of the things God has done for me to help me move forward. And the night before my mother passed away, I felt like it was going to happen. When it didn't happen on Thanksgiving, which is actually her parents' wedding anniversary, I felt like it was going to happen on November 27th, which is uh, my wedding anniversary, Todd and my 17th wedding anniversary. I just felt like it. So last Saturday night, uh, my sister was knocked out, and I was staring at my mom's bed. We had given her her oxygen, I think the night before, and I was listening to her breathing, and she was snoring. And in fact, um, Pastor Angela called to sing to my mom and sing to the family, and um, they're snoring in the background. <laughs> so my sister said, are you leaving a message to somebody? You realize that mom, mom's snoring. And I'm like, oh, I don't care, you know. So then I called Angela back and I said, Angela, you probably heard my mom, excuse my mom, she, you probably heard her snoring in the background. And she said, it's quite all right. And I think about how grateful I am that I have that tape of my mom snoring. And then not a, a couple days before she passed away, and not only that, I used to record her. So I have a lot of her voice in my phone. And, uh, but this night... I wanted to stay up all night for my mom because I began to reflect on the number of nights as a mother. She stayed up for us. So I wrote a piece called, She Stayed Up For Us, Now We Stay Up For Her. She stayed up for us, praying we'd arrive back home safely from a myriad of places. Now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us, studying to pass boards, pregnant with me, College exams, grad exams, now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us on her knees with the other prayer warriors, interceding, weeping, tarrying, now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us, dancing offbeat to her body's circadian rhythm, working double shift after double shift, now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us, purchasing Christmas gifts so we'd have something under the tree. Now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us, choosing to leave a marriage that wasn't working. Now we stay up for her. She also stayed up for us, 
working through healing and forgiveness and remarrying my dad, now we stay up for her. She stayed up for us because her love was deep and far and wide. Now we stay up for her with pleasure. So I wrote that sometime in the middle of the night. Thank you. So I wrote that in the middle of the night. My sister comes out and is like, I can't believe you're still awake. I started decorating the Christmas tree. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And I decided to go to bed at 5.30. And this night, I got in the bed with Todd because I felt like my mother would want me to sleep with my husband on our wedding anniversary. <laughs> so I slept from 5.30 to 7.30. And I woke up, and I was rushing because my sister and my dad were going to church, and I wanted to run to the ATM to get some cash to hand off, and Todd and I were going to watch my mom. So I um, said good morning to my mom, took a shower, and I was in my room, and my sister said, I think mommy passed. And I said, oh, my goodness, really? She's like, let's just go confirm, then we'll bring dad in. So we went, we took the pulse ox, the nurses told us, leave the pulse sock alone, because she's like, y'all are driving yourselves crazy with that pulse thingy. Leave it alone. So we had left it alone for like 24 hours or whatever. So we looked, and there was nothing. And I'm like, you know, looking at her chest. And my sister called the hospice uh, team. We brought my dad in. And then my sister and I bathed my mom. First off, I really didn't want to do it because I was really uncomfortable. But I thought about, you know, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. This is still my mom. My sister had the courage. Let me have the courage. And we bathed my mom and got her all cute. I mean, she's cute anyway. But, you know, we got her all cute. And my sisters, other sisters came. And my nephew came. And then we called the, um, the hospice nurse came. And then the um, funeral home came. And, you know, all of that happened. And they told me, um, my sister told me, what happened, like, in her final moments, uh, because I was in the bathroom, and she called Todd in, and she said, Todd, Todd, is her breathing really slowing down? And Todd said, yeah, yeah, it's really slowing. And he said, good morning, Mama Lucy, rest well. Todd walked out to work out. My sister left the room. When she walked back in, she wasn't breathing anymore. So guess what? The family joke is that Todd is her favorite, Todd had the last word, and I counted an honor that my mother passed away on our 17th wedding anniversary in an act of love and gratitude because she always said, I appreciate you all so much for taking care of me and for loving me. So um, I will share with you my mom's obituary at another time because I want you to see the full breadth and depth of who she was. Uh, she was a registered nurse. Uh, she had her master's in psychiatric nursing, and she was a woman of prayer and faith. You've only seen her in a wheelchair come here. You've only seen me as the caregiver and her as someone who needed assistance. But best believe that I would not be here without her caregiving to me. So I stand in her strength because she raised me to be the woman that I am today. So I share with you to close this sermon a video from my nephew, Josiah Alfer, who's a sophomore at University of California, Riverside, who created this video for his grandmother and for the rest of the family. If you have any prayer requests at this time, 
we invite you to kindly drop them in the chat. Thank you. Free.
Let's go. We green gotta drink. Go All the way. All the way. Take it to the head. Let's see. What do you have left? No. Go, go. Oh, we gotta drink it. Drink it, Lucy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Drink it, Lucy. Go, girl. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.